Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So uh, we are very close to the release of the Commander 2021 pre-cons, and uh, we thought we would do a deep dive into some of the data out there surrounding the other Commander pre-cons that have been released over the past decade or so. Um, we wanted to get a better idea of what kinds of cards people tend to leave in the pre-cons as they're doing their upgrades. Maybe if we could make some generalizations about the power level of the pre-cons or, or just sort of how they've changed over the years. So we've got a lot of interesting data that we pulled from EDHREC, but before we jump into it, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, with that, uh, I think we can go ahead and jump right in. So what we've done is we've compared the average deck list on EDHREC for all pre-con commanders, and we, we've compared that to the stock pre-con list that they were originally printed in. Uh, we've got a couple caveats, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all this data was pulled on March 6, 2021, so any changes since then aren't going to be represented. Um, also, only new commanders printed in each precon were included in the analysis. Yep. So, for example, the original commander decks had the Planar Chaos Wedge Dragons in them, but they're not included because those were reprints rather than original printings. Um, we also only looked at commanders that match their deck's color identity. So, for example, Edric, Spymaster of Trest, was included in one of the Commander 20, uh, 2011 precons. Mm -hmm. But because he was only blue-green and the deck was red-blue-green, he's not included in this analysis. Uh, a couple more. Um, basic lands are not counted as overlap. So if both the average Freyalize deck on EDHREC and the stock precon list have forests in them, that's not really surprising yeah. or interesting. So <laughs> yep. we're not going to focus on that. Uh, and then commanders are not counted as overlap, um, which basically means that, you know, if, if you have a stock, um, stock Gave list and, mm. and a precon or like... And the average Gave list, uh, we're not including that, that Gave as an overlap, which means that mm -hmm. partners are going to be at a slight disadvantage. Yeah, just slightly, I think like slightly deflated numbers. Yeah, but um, shouldn't really have a, a major yeah. effect overall. So let's let's talk about this data. We've got a lot of interesting things. Uh, what are some of the things that stuck out to you? What did you notice in comparing these two types of decks? It turns out when a card is printed in a precon, uh, it's very likely to stay in the main version of that list. Mm -hmm. um, or at least uh, there are numbers on EDHREC that show that when you have um, like a Gave list from the original Carador and Gave um, precon, um, a lot of players picked a few of those cards and just didn't change them ever. And that happens with a few <laughs> cards per precon, um, which is going to inflate the numbers of some of these cards that are inside of these precons. Um, and that was just something we saw across the board with every single every single deck. 
it kind of makes sense. Like the they're designing the deck to play out of the box. They're going to put some cards that play well with the commander. And a lot of times people were like, oh, this is cool and kept that in the box. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all or if you want to bring up other things first. Uh, one thing that, that really struck out, it's interesting to me, is looking at basically all of the cards and, and how frequently they were printed in these precons, as well as like the retention rate. So the likelihood mm-hmm. that a card will be retained um, in the average deck list for that commander. So people either building that commander or taking the precon and tweaking it to their liking and then uploading that list. Soul Ring, unsurprisingly, is in uh, every precon that they've ever printed. And the retention rate is 100%. So basically, every time somebody builds one of these commanders that was originally printed in a precon, they are including Soul Ring in that deck. And it's showing up in those average deck lists on EDH rec. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what's a little bit more interesting is the cards that are showing up frequently in these precons, but which are not being retained. So those, I I guess I would call those maybe like the vegetables or the sort of things <laughs> that like Wizards is kind of trying to like shove onto the players that the players are rejecting. Because mm-hmm. like the default is to like keep a card in your commander deck. Um, as you mentioned, you know, if a card is in the precon, we're more likely going to see it in that average deck for that commander. But if people are going out of their way to take something out that shows that players are kind of rejecting it. So mm-hmm. I want to highlight a couple of these cards that are showing up in a lot of precons, but which have a, a relatively low retention rate. Yeah, they're, I would call them the Brussels sprouts of the commander decks. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so one of them is Commander Sphere. Um, <laughs> Commander Sphere shows up in nearly, well, basically, it shows up in a lot of precons. Essentially, nearly half of all precon commanders have a Commander Sphere in their deck. But the retention rate is is considerably lower. It's only a 60% retention rate. So of all of these precon commanders that have Commander Sphere included in their decks, only 60% of those are going to have a Commander Sphere in that average list. So why do you think that might be? Um, what is it about Commander Sphere that players are, are less than enthusiastic about? Well, you know, uh, honestly, <laughs> I think it's the rate. Three mana rocks, just even when Commander Sphere was printed, were uh, below rate of what most people were trying to do. They were fine in the moment for budget reasons, and people were playing three mana rocks. Um, Coalition Relic was one of the staples at the time, but there's a huge difference between Commander Sphere and Coalition Relic, where Coalition Relic gets you to five mana the turn after you play it, where you only get four <laughs> if you play Commander Sphere on turn three and uh, Chromatic Lantern fixes all of your mana and that's three mana and that's an effect people were willing to pay for. Uh, Commander Sphere just being some dorky little mana rock uh, does not compete even at the time of printing with like Felwar Stone or any of the two mana rocks. Like people were playing Mind Stone at higher rates even. So it, it just seems like it's not interesting enough or at the level where most people would like to play it to warrant staying in the decks for people Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's it was 
it has been true that the format has been trending towards these two mana rocks. And that was true even at the time of Commander's Fear being printed, I would say. I think that's a great analysis. I want to move on to another card that has a relatively low retention rate despite being featured in a lot of Commander Precons. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is Myriad Landscape. So uh, about 40% of all Precon Commanders had a Myriad Landscape in their original stock Precon list. But uh, the retention rate is only 50%. So only 50% of those commanders that had a Myriad Landscape in the Precon have it in the average deck list. So this is another card that is also being cut. And, and why do you think that might be? Um, I think it comes down to the fact that this was made to fix mana or like ramp, quote, ramp you up in monocolor lists. They were released... Mirrored Landscape was released in the monocolor commander decks. Mm -hmm. And when they've reprinted it, it's always been in the two, three color lists. And it's not very good at fixing your mana in a two or three color list. Um, mm -hmm. It gets you two of the same type of basic. And I've always liked Mirrored Landscape because it gives you two lands. It's good with landfall. I like sacking my permanents and discarding my cards for effects. So this is something that's appealed to me as a player. But I can totally see how... Being in a uh, red-blue deck, needing red and blue, but only being able to get your blue is kind of a bummer for people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I was very high on this card when it came out. But again, mm -hmm. as you said, the context was in a monocolor deck mm -hmm. where, like, you know, your mono-white deck or your mono-red deck needs a way to get ahead on lands. For a lot of lists, especially those that have access to green, like, you're you're spending a lot of, of mana and and... Well, you're giving up a lot of tempo, basically, because it's coming into play tapped. Uh, you're spending two and tapping it and sacrificing yep. it to activate it. So you're basically spending four mana to ramp one land. And, you know, it is in your mana base that is valuable. It does enable landfall for the decks that care about it. But just for your average deck that's trying to ramp ahead, it's not really the, the most efficient way to do that. And I can see why a lot of people are cutting this. The comparison, there's another card that mirrored landscape was based off of that uh people liked a lot which also has been included in many precons at this point cross and verge uh, has a much much higher retention rate uh 87 uh and that's that's a little bit because the numbers skew towards it it's only been uh in 15 of the decks uh and so that's kind of has a little bit less of uh room <laughs> mm -hmm. to to make the numbers shift a lot quicker there but uh i think just one of the big things about crows and verge that made it so good was even though you are in green it can get dual lands it fixes your mana um so even though you're taking a tempo hit you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to play the game after you use it where that is definitely not true with mirrored landscape um so i i definitely when you compare the two, you compare what makes them good. Um, I've, I've used mirrored landscape. I use it in mono white, mono red lists, um, especially lists with Valakut. Um, but it is not something I tend to keep into my three plus color decks. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. There's one more card I want to touch on. This is an, another one with a, oh. a relatively low retention rate. You can probably guess which one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It is Swiftfoot Boots. So about a third of all Precon Commanders had a Swiftfoot Boots in their original stock Precon list, uh, but the retention rate for this card is only 47%. So 
uh, more than half the time people are taking this out of their pre-con or else choosing not to include it when they're building the deck around one of these pre-con commanders. Uh, why do you think that might be? And are there any easy points of comparison? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a card that is remarkably similar and uh, a decent amount more expensive. But Lightning Greaves has been a format staple for the entirety of the format. Mm -hmm. um, it was just in most commander decks at one point in time. I, I feel like now we have competition or not every deck like necessarily needs to protect their commander as as strongly as they used to it used to be a lot of commanders uh, a decade plus ago were integral to your game plan and the game was so slow that losing your seven mana commander was devastating where now a lot of commanders are in the like three to five range um, it's kind of rare to be running a six plus mana commander protecting it you have more spells you have heroic intervention you have counter spells they print counter spells in every set um we've gotten boros signet we've gotten teferi's protection it's just not something that's as high on the list to get rid of targeted like the shroud is not as high on the list of things that people are looking to include uh on their commander these days um or hexproof i should say and being able to if you want that effect just pay two mana, you have it forever with the Lightning Greaves, is just almost always better than Swift Foot Boots. I've only included Swift Foot Boots in decks that like specifically cared about a gimmick, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder why they are including Swift Foot Boots in so many decks when Lightning Greaves is already in the format, it's already beloved in the format. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean it, it would benefit more from something reducing its cost uh or, or rather from additional reprints to push down its cost um and you can sort of see like it's in in just this this data how much more popular it is uh lightning greaves despite being printed in fewer decks than swiftfoot boots um there's only 31 out of 106 precon commanders that have lightning greaves in their original precon deck as opposed to 34 for swiftfoot boots um, its retention rate is is much much higher. It has an eighty seven percent retention rate. So people are are very loath to take lightning greaves out of their deck, whereas swiftfoot boots gets the boot uh, most of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, drop it off at the goodwill. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's unfortunate that they are pushing this card so much when there's just a vastly more popular one. I, I suppose it's for game balance reasons, just to make it a little bit harder to prevent interaction with your commander um but yeah i mean how well i'm curious like how much of the time people just keep the stock precon lists as is because that's the only really yeah. way to play commander where the balance of the decks matters that much because as soon as you start flipping like switching cards in and out the balance goes out the window. Yeah, the the even just changing two or three cards could mean like an infinite combo. Say with like Elsha of the Infinite or yeah, whatever. Like all all you need to do is change two cards, and all of a sudden that deck is off the rails. So I think it gives them a target, and it also gives them excuses. So I think that they, <laughs> how should I say this? I think that they could give us everything we wanted in a commander list, and 
I think as time has gone on, they've realized that that's more the case. And there's a lot more bangers per commander deck than there used to be insofar as new cards, insofar as reprints, because they kind of realize they should. (laughs) (laughs) It's good for the format. It's good for sales. It's good for everyone. Everyone's happy. They don't get complained at a lot. Uh, Where I think at one point in time, they kind of liked having excuses. It's the same reason that why is this bad rare exist? Oh, it's for draft reasons. Why did you put this bad card in here? Oh, it's for when you play the decks all together. Oh, it's for uh, giving people cards to switch out so they feel more attached to the deck and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I think that some of that is reasonable to say. Some of that is reasonable to design into the decks. But knowing what they know now, I think it's very unreasonable (laughs) to expect... uh, I think it's unreasonable to expect that that many people are going to keep these decks in a solid unit mm-hmm. and then play them consistently. It's much more common for a few people to buy them and keep them together than a majority of the people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to pivot to another element of the data that we looked at, which is just um, the total overlap in cards between the stock precon list and the EDH rec average. You can sort of see a trend and, and Let's just talk about each year overall and how that changes over time. And then we can also break it out sort of by the face commander versus the alternate commander. And let's just see if we can identify some trends here and maybe come up with some theories about what's driving this data. So back in the initial commander precon lists, the the C11 decks, of those commanders, we see an overlap, or rather an an average overlap among those commanders of 14 cards that were in the precons that remain with those average decks on EDH rec for those commanders. In C13, Commander 2013, that number is 12.7, so pretty, pretty close. And then after that, we sort of see an upward trend. Um, Commander 2014, the monocolor lists had 21.6 cards of overlap. Commander 2015, the enemy color decks had 24.6 cards overlapping. C16, the partner commanders had 22.87 cards overlapping. C17, the tribal decks had 28.25 overlapping. C18, the card types had 27.3 cards overlapping. Uh, C19, the mechanics had 29.58 cards overlapping. Uh, And then C20, the Ikoria commander decks had 33 cards overlapping (laughs) between the the pre-con decks and the average deck on EDH rec for those commanders. So what are the trends you're seeing here and what do you think are is driving those trends yeah, going we're going up everybody <laughs> uh-huh. um i think the notable exceptions to this uh, should be stated that it was c16 the partner commanders the four color decks and uh those decks like the the card slots in them were pretty abysmal <laughs> mm-hmm. i think i think there's a few reasons for that dip there but pretty much everything else that trend has gone up and 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 i think it's because they're building towards a more cohesive idea as the decks get newer fresher they're building they're putting stronger cards into the decks for sure and i think a combination of those two things people are going oh hey this does work pretty well with this commander so i'm going to keep it in i know i know personally 
I build decks from scratch every time I don't look at EDH rec or or uh, the pre-con list or anything like that. And so I remember when I made my Calamax list, I was on Scryfall. I was like saving tabs, like adding cards to a list. And I finished. And then I was like, okay, cool. This is my first draft of Calamax. And then I, when I got the pre-con, I looked through it and was like, oh, a lot of the cards that I, I picked are already in here. Mm-hmm. Harrow and such. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's only so many Harrows. There's only so many gross spirals, you know? Like there's there's only so many cards that do certain effects that you can kind of include to any specific type of commander build around and they're just better at putting those in now i think that's a a big part of it and then to the second point i made i think just cards are stronger now i think that's pretty safe to say (laughs) yeah i see a couple trends i definitely agree that I think these pre-cons are getting stronger. I think the cards being included are stronger. And I think there's two trends that are driving that. So for one, the format has just kind of accelerated since Commander 2011. And also like people's understanding and especially like wizards understanding of what's good in commander has sort of matured and evolved since these pre-cons were first developed so yeah definitely (laughs) but i think the original pre-cons had some cards that you would never ever want to play in a a modern (laughs) commander deck i'm thinking like (laughs) i believe like whirlpool whelm was in there just like you know bounce or even bounce on top of somebody's library is just not an effect that scales well to commander um those kind of tempo plays or those kind of plays that kind of put you down relative to most of your opponents that that doesn't fly anymore Mm -hmm. so i think wizards has just gotten better at designing for commander and like has a better understanding of what types of cards to include so that is going to lead to more overlap over time as they put good cards in the deck and those cards remain when people start making changes. Also, I think that it's worth noting that just more powerful staples have been added since this since the they started making these commander precon decks. The format looks different from how it did in Commander 2011, not just because like people have gotten better at building commander decks, but because better commander cards have been printed. We have, you know, like Assassin's Trophy or Anguish Done Making or all these powerful cards that are are now format staples that just did not exist and therefore could not have been put into these original commander precons but Mm -hmm. maybe more likely to make it into a precon these days i think that's a really good point to make i think just knowing having been there for the advent of the commander decks um seeing the cards that they include i think it's kind of excusable that like c11 c 13 moving forward all had some clunkers in them and i think that's because their conception of what commander was was so different to what it is now Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways i think wizard's conception of what commander was was stemming directly from their interactions with the rc which was like this is a very casual format this is big haymakers it's slow you can play whatever card you want and wizards really took that and like ran with it and went oh okay this is the kind of stuff people want not realizing that actually we kind of just want to build around these cool cards and make these cool like machines or express ourselves in certain ways it's not that i want to play the five five six drop from uh eventide like i don't actually want to play with that card 
so you shouldn't mm-hmm. put it in here. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing, but it it just comes with I think a listening to the player base and coming from a place where they started with expectations that were a lot um that players were a lot more casual than they actually are. I think the the word casual meant something different to them then than it does now. Mm-hmm. Um I think CEDH has really taught us that, that competitive EDH doesn't mean I'm not playing to have fun. It just means I'm not playing at a tournament. (laughs) I'm still playing to have fun. I still want to be competitive, but I don't want to have to play at a tournament. I don't want to pay entry fees. I just want to sit down with my friends, play a game of Magic. And I think Wizards understands that difference now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other trend that I think is contributing to what we're seeing here. Um, and that is, I would say, the mechanical focus of the commander decks. So I think that over time, um, and and th- there's sort of like two things going on here. Um, and maybe, do you mind if I like lay down a bit more data before I really get into my point here? No, please do. That's totally great. Okay, uh, so another trend we note, and, and this is, I think, really going to illustrate my point of the decks becoming more mechanically focused. So those numbers we gave to you earlier were just an average across all of the commanders in that year. But we also separated out the face commanders from the alternate commanders to see if maybe like the face commanders have higher uh, overlap than the, the, the alternate commanders. And that is definitely the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for C11, uh, Commander 2011, the face commanders had an average overlap of 18.2 cards. The alternates had an overlap of 9.8 cards. In C13, it was like actually very, very close. Um, 12.6 versus 12.8 for the alternate commanders. You get the sense that like back then they were still trying to make it so you could kind of swap between... Um, the, mm-hmm. the face and alternate commanders and still have your deck work okay. But after that year, it, it really kind of goes off the rails. And then in the, <laughs> yeah. the most recent years, it's just, it's incredible to me. C14, the face commanders had an average overlap of 25.6 cards between the stock precons and the average deck on EDH rec. Alternates, 17.6. Um, so, you know, notable difference there. C15, uh, Commander 2015, 30.8 for the face commanders, 18.4 for the alternate commanders. Uh, so another significant difference, and the gap is like kind of growing. Uh, yes. Commander 2016, 29.6 cards of overlap for the face commanders versus the alternate commanders, which are 19.5. Um, and then C17, 42. Uh, cards overlapping for the face commanders between the pre-con list and the average deck on EDH rec versus 21 uh, for the alternate commander. So pretty much double there. And then uh, C18, a little bit of a digression from this trend, 34.5 cards for the face commanders, 23.7 cards for the alternate commanders, and then C19 and C20. I, I cannot believe what has happened these last couple of years for the, mm-hmm. for the face commanders. We're seeing an average overlap between the stock pre-con list and the average deck on EDH rec of 55.5 for the face commanders 
and 16.6 for the alternate commanders. Yeah. <laughs> for C20, it's 55.8 for the face commanders and 21.8 for the alternate commanders. So in the last two years, you are barely changing anything at all from your your face commander deck list when if you're you're sort of tweaking it for your own use. And maybe a year or two after we've gotten more of the commander decks that are released, like the the two decks that are typically released with a set nowadays, like not not like the yearly release that's tied to a set, mm-hmm. but like the I think the Zendikar, Zendikar Rising or the Commander Legends. Exactly, like those decks. I, I wanna see how if that trend continues because those decks are basically just a face commander with a deck built around them and they've felt really cohesive as i've like played them um i feel like this is a trend that we're going to continue to see going forward <laughs> yeah and so um just to sort of get back to what i was saying you know i think that in the early decks a couple of things were happening one is they they just sort of wanted to give you a feel for commander for like typical commander play so there was a lot yeah. of cards in there that were just kind of you know like big splashy haymakers maybe a little bit less focus on synergy with your commander uh, and also they they definitely tried to make it so that you could swap between your commanders and your deck would mostly work so there was less cards in the deck devoted to one specific commander and so that would naturally lead to um, you know, potentially less overlap. But as as we're going forward, you can see, and I, th- I think when we really saw this happen was like C17, C18, C19, C20, all of these were, were much more focused than the previous yes. years. Like the previous years were based on color. And so it was just kind of like, here's a feel for like sort of what this color combination looks like in Commander. And there was a little bit less focus. Some of the themes were pretty loose. Like... For example, in the the enemy color decks, like the Kalemni list had like a very loose Voltron theme and a very loose giant theme and a very loose like CMC five or greater theme. But it just wasn't a a very cohesive deck and it didn't feel like it was really trying to be a Kalemni deck. But starting in C17, they transitioned away from like, this is what this color identity looks like to this is a specific tribe. And so that's naturally going to lead to a lot more overlap between the the stock precon list and the average deck on EDH rec, just because, you know, if you, if the precon, the precon is naturally going to want a bunch of like vampire lords and you're not likely to take those out when you're, (laughs) you're revising the deck or, or even building it from scratch, you're likely to sort of converge on the same type of cards. And and then like C18, the card type focused, again, like there's not that deep of a pool of cards that really care about enchantments. So I think that that's going to lead to more overlap. And, and with C19, where we really saw a huge increase over previous years, they basically put every single madness card they possibly could into the yeah. madness <laughs> deck. There's Because otherwise the deck just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same with Kadena with the morph list and, and yeah j- just all all of them even like gear even though populate isn't necessarily something you need to build around or could build around people were like oh this does make a big token i shall keep it <laughs> yeah yeah so there's just a lot less wiggle room for um, swapping cards out when the decks are so focused and when the card pool they are pulling from is so shallow 
because you're just naturally going to, you, you don't have the luxury of choice when it comes to madness cards. And then C20 uh, was also, a lot of them chose mechanics that were, you know, kind of introduced for the first time in the Ikoria deck, or they were just so narrow that there wasn't a deep card pool to pull from. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so you wouldn't be super surprised that like the mutate deck, uh, the stock precon list looks almost exactly like the average deck because there's exactly one set to pull from when building your, your mutate deck. Um, and similarly, like with the like ability counters deck, there's only so many like vampire nighthawks in Magic, and a lot of them <laughs> were included in that precon. Mm-hmm. Or, or Gavi, like a cycling list. There's only so many cards with cycling, and obvious, maybe not obviously, but a lot of them are interchangeable. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you have this one that cycles for two or this one that cycles for two when mm-hmm. you're mostly going to be cycling it for free anyway, you know? Yeah. So people just kind of kept a lot of those same cards into the list. Yeah. So going for well, maybe it's a little too early for that. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hold off on that for a sec. I think one of the striking things about this data and collecting all this data, other than the fact that like Nick did all of this work and it turned out so good and actually to point in directions, which is really cool, um, is that it really kind of matched up with feelings. It was interesting to see that like things that I felt like I was noticing uh, deck building on EDA Trek in when I'm playing games, if you go to a GP or whatever it is or a Magic Fest and play, it felt like certain things were true, but it was really hard to point to anything in particular other than just like power creep or kind of generic terms that I'm kind of don't like using all the time. This kind of really pointed in a direction i think really what we can see is when they decide to put cards in a precon that is kind of putting into the world this idea of this is what this deck looks like this is how this deck should play um and kind of not necessarily like dictating that you should play that way but it they're very much like shaping the perceptions yeah influencing the norms for sure yes yeah 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 that's that's really the the point that i think is really interesting about the precons okay there's a couple more points i want to make and then we can sort of get into projecting forward you know what we how we think people are gonna uh, react yeah. to future precons so one is i want to sort of temper some of the like trends we've been noticing just by pointing out that even though there is this trend of like increasing overlap over time, another explanation for that other than the ones we've given might just be that for the more recent commanders, there's like less time to alter them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you bought your, your C20 list, well, a, you know, it's kind of like a bad time to buy a precon because that you probably haven't had a ton of opportunities for in-person games or, or maybe not nearly as much as normal over the past year mm-hmm. so you're just not getting as much experience playing the deck and you're you don't have as much opportunities to draw a card and see like oh wait this sucks this is terrible <laughs> and then drop it so that that's something worth noting also like i think that the more recent years of precons 
the more recent years of like average decks of precons commanders are more likely to have been adapted from the precons whereas probably like the average length of time the length of time that the average player has been playing commander is less than 10 years so if they are building a zedru deck or agave deck or whatever one of these like a really old school commander precon commanders they are most likely not buying the precon they are starting from scratch and that's going to lead to less overlap than if they picked up the c20 precon and then just you know they have a complete deck they just want to need to swap out a couple of the clunkers yeah i I think that's definitely true when it comes to uh, also like mana bases too i feel like mana bases are Mm -hmm. one of the things that change a lot in the precons just because they they tend to be a little bit uh stingy <laughs> mm-hmm. with the mana bases that they put in precons and you can see that too in the data where i think one of the reasons that it's 50 card overlaps on some of these face commanders in the newer sets is they kept a lot of the main deck cards in and they upgraded the mana base yep you know i i looking at a lot of the lands uh that they include in multiple of the precons the bounce lands are cut a a vast majority of the time Mm -hmm. like opal palace which is a card that i think was first printed in a commander set right that was our commander card yep has just an abysmal (laughs) retention rate um just all of these lands are cut too so i think the data kind of reflects that where as you go like starting now in c20 going backwards i think a big reason that you're seeing the same numbers in that trend is also like if I'm changing the mana base plus cards, that's going to get more as I go backwards in time, like you said. So I think that also lines up with the data that we've been seeing. There's one other thing I wanted to point out, which is earlier you were sort of trying to identify like what might have caused the dip in overlap in Commander oh. 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I want to point out as a, a potential explanation is because the the partners were included in that year and because they intentionally designed the partners to be like very broad in their design and not lead to specific decks oh yeah did they (laughs) yeah so i think that whereas like a lot of the other commanders we had seen up until that point in like c11 through c15 like they they're trying to give you a direction for your deck you know like your the experience counter commanders all tell you to do something or like you know the modern color commanders are trying to show you a specific aspect of that color that's more likely to lead to overlap because they're they're putting cards that synergize with this mechanical identity of the deck and those are likely the kind of things that are going to fit into um you know into your average deck if you were to build it from scratch or, or modify the deck or whatever but in C16, because the partners are so like prominent and they don't really need any of the cards included <laughs> in those lists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's probably why we're seeing uh, like that dip in overlap in that year as a, like that kind of and why it's an outlier in the overall trend moving towards mo- more overlap. Yeah. Also, it, it this is just a another thing that was also the last year that the mechanics that they were printing in the precons were really geared towards casual mm-hmm. um so like if we're not even not like totally what you just said they were a lot less focused but this was also the year that we had the like dauntless mm-hmm. as a mechanic which is like or undaunted sorry 
And Undaunted is this spell costs one less to cast for each opponent you have. So they were all just priced abysmally. <laughs> because if it's the first few turns of the game, you want to destroy two creatures. Oh, that's only going to cost you like two or three mana. But if it's you and the last opponent and you want to destroy two creatures, it's like six mana or something. (laughs) So this is like a very, very casual mechanic Mm -hmm. uh, and one that most people didn't like. A lot of these cards don't see a lot of adoption. Uh, They are cut from these lists in very high numbers. Um, And I I think nowadays when they design mechanics for the sets, well, I guess they aren't. They're designing mechanics for the sets and then using them in the commander decks now, Mm -hmm. but... I think the mechanics that we saw in the two years after that were a lot more competitive in the in the sense of like you're getting more bang for your mana. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's an excellent point. In the earlier Commander precons, I remember a lot of um, cards where they were just kind of playing in the multiplayer design space, yeah. uh, and they weren't really trying to design things that would maybe be good in commander but more just like because <laughs> there was just so many cards that was like you know everyone gets this thing let's join forces or like yeah i think there were like multiple mechanics that were just like or tempting offer where mm-hmm. the whole point of the mechanic is i am giving my opponents resources because that's something you know they're, they're designers that's something you can't do in regular magic so it's like a fun thing to explore and it's just kind of like whoops that like a lot of those cards aren't awesome like if your mechanic is you know my collective opponents will get three times as many resources as me that's not going to be the kind of card that leads you to win commander games most of the time yeah yeah and and with the exception of a few of those cards that are bonkers the oh i can't remember the green join forces card (laughs) Or not the green join forces could the green tempting offer one. Oh yeah, which, like tempt with discovery or something. Yeah, tempt with discovery. That is not actually <laughs> a group hug card, mm-hmm. even though it seems like it. Um, because the green black X player goes and gets coffers and Urborg and any other lands they want, while everyone else gets their hopefully strip mine. But <laughs> um, but other than a few of these cards that did have those kind of loopholes or like these these opportunities for big splashy plays, they just no one is playing with them unless you are a group hug list. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just cut at very large numbers. So I am personally a lot happier with the way they think about Commander nowadays. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely feels like they are um, trying to enable archetypes that didn't previously exist, which is exactly the what commander theory has been advocating for (laughs) for many years for its entire existence yeah um so i I think it's great let's talk a bit about maybe sort of projecting these trends forward um what we think like this the impact of the strixhaven deck is going to be and maybe what we can sort of expect to the community Mm. to do when when presented with those decks this is interesting because this is going to be the second time that we've seen specifically a, a world and mechanics of that world tied to a commander product. Mm-hmm. So I think if we're looking at the trends as they've been presented to us, uh, we can look at C20 as like a pretty good example where there's going to be a, a Magecraft deck. There's going to be decks about tokens. And we've kind of gotten some spoils on some of these commanders at this point. Um 
so we don't know what the deck lists are. We don't know what the new cards are, but I would expect to see a very similar trend where the face cards are built around very heavily by wizards mm -hmm. given to you in the deck and to see a lot of retention when it comes to the face commanders and just hoping there's not another cycle of banger free spells <laughs> this time around yeah as of the time we're recording this we have not seen the entire contents of yeah. the commander 2021 decks yeah you might be listening to this and that you have seen <laughs> the contents yeah, of them and but... we're totally way off here yeah <laughs> um but there i think there's a couple things that we can say just sort of based on the trends we've seen and also like in in some cases speaking to members of wizards r&d yep. um like when when speaking to ethan fleischer he mentioned that the the free spell cycle in the Ikoria commander decks, probably not uh, going to be representative <laughs> of what they're doing in the future. Um, and I really hope that's true. <laughs> yeah. In, in that interview, which I recommend you all listen to if you haven't yet. Um, he said that basically going forward, they, they don't see that the pre-con slots are the, the purpose of them is not to introduce more chaos warps into the format. It's not to introduce <laughs> more staples with the potential exception of like helping out the colors that are lagging behind like red and white. Um, but they're, they're not going to be, uh, you know, really adding a bunch of much have must have staples in future commander decks, especially not for like blue, green and black. Mm -hmm. um, and also as of the, the time of recording, we've seen, the five face commanders from the um from commander 2021 the the strixhaven commander decks and honestly it seems like the power level of these commanders is lower than what we've yes. seen in the past that's i would say that's definitely true <laughs> yeah so it's going to be interesting to see how that affects adoption my guess would be that people are going to be less interested in building these decks from scratch i think that these are going to be good sort more sort of like introductory cards and because people are not going to be building them from scratch as much just because like the payoff doesn't really seem to be there that is probably going to lead to more overlap in the future because they're with less decks being built from scratch and more coming directly from the precons that just means that that, that i think will lead to more overlap yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. The big thing here is that time will tell. We know that there are going to be releasing more set specific commander decks in like pairs like they were with the commander legends, the Zendikar mm -hmm. rising ones. So we'll see what the trend is on those. And then this year is kind of going to be another, uh, another point of data to compare to in regards to like what does it look like when they build around a specific set for the commander decks what is the power level going to be like have they learned from their past mistakes mm. are they going to um further perpetrate more sin <laughs> and uh will we all have to suffer because of it <laughs> uh, who knows <laughs> mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen so it's just interesting to see the progress that has happened in regards to wizards and their how they think about the format mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, looking forward to seeing how these, these new decks are adopted and how uh, Wizards is, is changing its process for designing these decks in the future. Oh, yeah. 
but I think that's all I have to say on this topic. Uh, is there any last thoughts you want to add? Um, I would just say, and I'm going to ask this of the listeners of the, the YouTube watchers. Um, if you are someone who just buys the pre-cons to play with them, um, s- let us know. Let us know your experience with them, what years were balanced and not, that kind of stuff. If you're someone uh, who maybe is more active in your local scene and has any info on this, like this is something me and Nick are very interested mm-hmm. in and, and would be really interested to hear about. So any data at all, any anything you'd want to add to this conversation would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we definitely appreciate your feedback because we're... We're just making guesses here, and, and any yep. information you can provide is just going to help us calibrate those guesses. But thank you all for listening. Um, and with that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Eamon, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, and Kevin. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you're not currently a Patreon patron and would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln continental by entropy. And you can check them out on SoundCloud until next time. We're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>